Three weeks ago, I talked about a biblical basis of divine healing. Then I talked about how to keep your healing, uh, giving a biblical foundation for that. And last week, I talked about understanding the authority of the believer. And this week, I'm going to talk about understanding God's empowering presence. Okay? So, uh, like I said, this is kind of a second part of last week, sort of. It's a standalone message, but for those of you who were here last week, you'll see how it's related. Um, We talked about authority. The authority that Jesus Christ delegates to us as believers is critical for us to understand in order to function and operate in the anointing. In order to do the stuff that Jesus calls us to do, we need to understand and realize that we have the same power that he had. It says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of us. If you remember when I talked about Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 21, talked about the prayer, the apostolic prayer that Paul prays. And when he talks about um, that he'd open the eyes of your heart so that the last thing he says that, well, hold on, I have to say it in order to remember that he opened the eyes of your heart so that you would know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Then he says that is, power is the same as the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God above all rule and authority, dominion, and power, and every name that could be named both in this age and the age to come. That same power is resident in every single believer. And it's important for us to understand that because Jesus, um, if you've been here, we talked about the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. In Mark 16, he says, these signs will follow those who believe. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll handle deadly stakes. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't even harm them. And they'll lay their hands on the sick and the sick will recover. The question is, how come we don't often see those signs? The answer, partly, I believe, is because we don't have the revelation of the power that we have as Christians. And that's why Paul prays that we would our, our, that we'd get a spirit of wisdom and revelation and that our hearts would be enlightened so that we would what? Know this incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, so with that being said, we talked about the believer's authority last week. This week, we're going to focus on the power dimension of that. Because he gave us what's authority for all intents and purposes. It's delegated power. So um, I don't want to be redundant with last week. If you weren't here, like I said, you can uh, ask us and we'll mail you, email you the um, message in the slides from last week. But this week, I want to go on to say, okay, so what understanding God's empowering presence is a really, really important part of this. It's one thing, okay, hopefully we have established, yeah, we have the authority to do these things, but we also have to understand that power, that incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, so this week, I want to talk about the source of that power. Now, something to consider From his conception to his resurrection, everything about Jesus Christ's life and ministry was a result of the Holy Spirit's work. Everything. Okay? Just think about this. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Often we don't think about that. Right? Um, talking about Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, I was going to put the scriptures, but I had to, every week I have like a million scriptures and I have to like cut out a whole bunch. <laughs> There's still a million, but... So 
like, you all know this, the Christmas story. Gabriel visits Mary, and he's like, you're going to have a child. And she has a, she's like, how is this possible? I haven't known anybody. And he's like, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in the power of God, and you'll be conceived. And so the child will be called the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's actually Jesus' dad. Have you thought about that? Isn't that interesting? Okay, so... Holy Spirit conceives Jesus, or, or he's Jesus' dad. Now, Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was empowered to do the ministry by the Spirit. And I have scriptural references there for you, but we're going to be talking about a lot of this today. He spoke the word of God by the Spirit, and he was raised from the dead by the Spirit. There's actually one in Hebrews that says that too. The point is, everything from right conception to death... His, and resurrection was all by the Holy Spirit, everything. Now, I want to point something out that I think we, are, because uh, uh, we hear things and, and we don't think about the implications. So I want to just point some stuff out. And maybe you've thought of this, maybe you haven't. But the one, one feature that made Jesus the Messiah was that what? He was anointed. What are you talking about? Do you know what the word Messiah means? Do you know what the word Christ means? The word Messiah is the Hebrew. It's the same meaning as Christ. It means the anointed one. What do, so the question is, what was he anointed with? Exactly. The Holy Spirit. That's the one thing that made him the Messiah. Jesus Christ. Christ isn't his last name. Christ means anointed one. Anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're like... What are you talking about? I'm just going to give you, think about the messianic prophecies. What, what, what distinguishing factor did the prophecies have? Why, did, why was it even called the messianic prophecies? Why were they expecting the Messiah to come, the anointed? Okay, so messi <laughs> the messianic prophecies. I'm just going to give you a couple. There's a whole bunch. This is, one from, this is a famous one from Isaiah, right? Isaiah 61, I, I have one to three. I'm only going to give you the first verse because I have a lot to cover today. But the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord anointed me to what? Proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom of the captives and release the darkness from the prisoners. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, that's what he was anointed with, right? That's what they were expecting. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he'll delight in the fear of the Lord. Now I'm going to fast forward to the New Testament. We talked about this scripture in regards to healing, but I want you to think about this. This is Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. Right? So you see, that's what he was anointed with, was the, the Holy Spirit. That's what made Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. That's how he did the work of the ministry. That's how he healed the sick. That's what it's saying there, right? So the key point is being anointed with the Holy Spirit is what made Jesus the Messiah. Now... With that being said, not only was the Holy Spirit the defining characteristic of Jesus' life and ministry, and we're going to talk about that a little more, he's also the one defining characteristic of true Christians. 
Think about our name, Christian. What does the word Christ mean? Anointed ones. We just talked about that. The only thing, biblically, the only thing that distinguishes a believer from a non-believer, a true Christian from non, is the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing, biblically. That's the only thing. In fact, and I've talked about this before, and I'm going to talk about it again someday. I'll probably do a whole series on the importance of this stuff, because it is really important to grasp this. But Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 5, his way of asking, have you been saved, he asks, have you received the Spirit? Twice in that portion of Scripture. Have you seen, received the Spirit? So, in other words, that's the one thing. So, we, like, we need to understand... As Christians, what makes us Christians? Little anointed ones. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit. And it's through our relationship with the Holy Spirit that we do the works of the ministry. That Jesus did. Here's another scripture. Romans 8, 9. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's pretty straightforward, right? So I remember saying this. (laughs) uh, Anyway, I taught them this before and people were like, wait, what, what? And I was like, I just gave him the scripture, like, oh, okay, yeah, that's true. The only thing, right, you need to have the Holy Spirit in order to belong to Christ. Think about what it means to be born again. John chapter 3, right, 3 to 10. You must be born again by the Spirit, right? It's all about the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, the Holy Spirit's been neglected for the most part in the church. There's a reason for that. Think about what antichrist means, right? Why do you think everybody's so resistant to revival when the Holy Spirit shows up? It's the anti-anointing, right, anti-Christ spirit behind it that resists the Holy Spirit. And so we as Christians need to realize this is a scheme of the devil to try and get the Holy Spirit out of the church, right, and make us a bunch of Pharisees. It's the work of the Satan. It really is. And that's why the Holy Spirit's been neglected for so long. In fact, you look at most, many churches are binitarian. What do I mean by that? Father and son And they might pay lip service to the Holy Spirit, but really the experiential reality is they're not, they don't operate or function or have relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? And so it's important for us to consider this once in a while because if we're not careful, we'll get into that trap, totally ignoring the Holy, the person, the Holy Spirit, who is the one thing that makes us saved, right? Makes us born again. So, Jesus is our example of what it looks like to live life in the Spirit, isn't he? He's the perfect example because he's the Christ. He was the anointed one. And so we're called to follow his example as a Spirit-empowered life. So today what I want to do is show you just uh, some things going over Jesus' example of life in the Spirit so that we can live that Spirit-empowered life. Remember, today's topic is understanding God's empowering presence. The fourth value is empowering in the anointing. So we're, we're basically talking about empowering in the anointing. What does that mean? What does that look like? And Jesus is our example. So one thing that's interesting, if you think about it, Jesus' identity, he got through the Spirit. Right? I already said this. What does Christ mean? Jesus Christ, we think it's his last name because the two go together so much. It means anointed one, anointed the Holy Spirit. His identity comes from the Holy Spirit. I am anointed with the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. But not only that, if you look, this is Luke chapter 3, 15 and 16. Many of us know this, talking about John the Baptist. He's baptizing people and calling people to repent, to pave the way for the Lord. So the people, because he was so awesome, 
And everybody was waiting for the Messiah to come, the anointed one. So the people were waiting, expecting, and were all wondering in their hearts if John the Baptist might possibly be the Messiah, right? The anointed one. So then he answers them. He says, I baptize you with water, but the one, one who is more powerful. Now, I want to say this. I, ha- I meant to say this. Notice power and Holy Spirit go hand in hand. Jesus was anointed with what? The Holy Spirit and power. Scripturally speaking, you'll see they're even used interchangeably sometimes because that was the Jewish understanding of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't have one without the other. He's the power of God. Okay? So one more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Look, this is interesting. We don't think of this often. Look, so John the Baptist is known as what? For his ministry, baptizing people, right? Because that's what he did. Look at what Jesus will be known as prophetically. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Isn't that interesting? That's his description. He's like, this is how you're going to know who the Messiah is. I'm baptizing you in water. He's going to do this, baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. That's the prophetic description, the characteristic of what the Messiah is going to look like. Now, this is from John uh, chapter 1. John gives us... I love John's gospel because it complements the synoptic gospel so well and gives us a different perspective and, and talks about some things that we don't see in the synoptics. But so this is from John chapter 1, 29 and then 32 to 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 32, then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know that he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one in whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will what? Baptize with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? That's Jesus. That's how we know who Jesus is. Not only did the the Holy Spirit rest on him because he's, what, the anointed one, but his ministry is going to be one of baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he's the chosen one of God. Now, going back to Luke's version, this is Luke 3, 21 to 22. When all the people were being baptized in water, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, look at this, you are my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now I just want to point out something. This is interesting. Notice that God's affirmation that Jesus is his son and his expression of love to Jesus happen after he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why am I saying that? This is the same for us. I'm going to show you a couple scriptures that show this. God adopts us as sons and daughters through the Holy Spirit and he expresses his love for us through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this isn't a coincidence. What are you talking about? Galatians chapter 4, 4 to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, father right it's the spirit that the spirit of adoption is by the holy spirit we become adopted as children of god 
And then it's that spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. I talked about this a few weeks ago when I talked about experiencing the love of the Father. That it's through the revelation of the Holy Spirit that we're God's children. Because, like I said before, it's the Holy Spirit, once we get saved and born again, it's the Holy Spirit that makes us God's children. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God made you also an heir. I'm going to skip to Romans 8, 14 and 17. It says something similar in a different way. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Isn't that interesting? Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. It's by the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Isn't that interesting? And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Right? Like Jesus, when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is my son whom I love. It's the same with us. By the Spirit, you are my child. And the Spirit witnesses with our spirits that we're God's children. Now if we're children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Oh my goodness. Co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. Just think about what that means. Right? Jesus Christ is our brother. He was the first fruits of many brethren, Paul says. Right? And so Jesus is not only our example of what our life should look like as anointed ones, but the same inheritance that Jesus had as a son, we have as well. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And I just wanted to say that because often that gets ignored. <laughs> With good reason. Yeah. The sufferings. Um, that's a good question because, and that's a whole other series. No, no, that's good. Because um, Jesus, right, he was what? person. Think about what happened to him in, in his life. He suffered persecution, he suffered uh, treachery, he suffered friends betraying him, all because of the Holy Spirit, the Antichrist spirit, right? And so, in the same way, as believers, one way that we're going to have to unfortunately suffer is through persecution, is through people misunderstanding you, is getting persecuted for the anointing. Honestly, like when revival happens... You're either on board or you're not, and those who are not are going to criticize. You saw this with the Toronto revival, right? It just, there was a dividing line, and and I don't want to say too much, but you know, if you're going to go for God, you're going to experience the same sufferings as Jesus. Jesus says this in the Gospels too, right? He says, no servant's greater than the master. If This is interesting. If they said that I'm operating from Satan, how much more will they say that of you? Jesus says that, right? Because no servant's above the master. So the same persecutions are going to happen to you, the same sufferings, okay? And look, you can just look around the world, people getting tortured for Jesus and throughout history. So that's what that means. Getting persecuted suffers, experiencing the same sufferings uh, uh, that Jesus experienced because of the anointing, because of the Holy Spirit. Um, great question. Exactly. Right. And, and I, no, I don't believe that's true. Um, 
Again, this is kind of another message, but like Paul talks about his sufferings in 2 Corinthians 12. And you know what he lists? He doesn't list sickness. He lists persecution, right? He, he lists all of these things. I was shipwrecked. I was almost killed by others. People, the thorn in the flesh is not sickness. He actually defines what it is right after he says, there's a thorn in my flesh. And he, that's what he lists. He says sufferings. He says this was a messenger of Satan, okay? And there was false apostles persecuting him. But that's a whole other story for another day. Um, but that's a good point because God doesn't uh, want us to self-inflict ourselves with suffering. Oh, I'm suffering for Christ. No. Now, if that happens when we're following the Lord, it's going to happen. Jesus guarantees it. But I believe that he's talking about those kind of sufferings that Jesus endured. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Great question. All right. Now, we talked about this, right? Jesus got his identity through the Holy Spirit of, his, of sonship. What's the second thing God said? And whom I love. Look at this. Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, what? Through the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. So not only are we adopted as children of God through the Holy Spirit, we also get a revelation of God's love for us through the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did right when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is my son in whom, I'm well, in whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. So I wanted to say that because identity is an important thing that we all need a revelation on, and we get that revelation on through the Holy Spirit. Because like I said last week, when I talked about the authority that we have in Jesus Christ, we need to have the revelation that we are actually children of God, co-heirs with Christ, so that we function and operate in the same ministry that Jesus did, knowing we have that same power that Jesus had through the authority he delegated to us. So that's why I wanted to talk about that. Now... Again, this is the second point, okay? So Jesus got his identity through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Man, this is an important one. So look at, this is the very next verse after he, uh, it's, uh, that we just talked about, that he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. God says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Look at the first thing Jesus does. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, right? He was baptized in the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, didn't we? How Jesus, when he was tempted, showed us how to use the armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, shield of faith, when the enemy attacked, and that's how he defeated the enemy. So that's another story for another day. But the point I want to make is, is he's our example, right? He was immediately, as soon as the Holy Spirit was on him, he was led by the Spirit. And that's what we're called to do as believers. Now here's a couple of important scriptures that say that, right? Galatians 5, 16 through 18 and verse 25. So I say, this is the primary imperative in Paul, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires was contrary to the spirit, and the spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. Think about this. Do you think Jesus' flesh wanted to go into the wilderness for 40 days and not eat? No. This, that's what this is saying. If you're led by the spirit, you're no longer under the flesh. In other words, it's referring to sin as well. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to do things your flesh doesn't want to do. But it's important for us to be obedient to the Holy Spirit because that's the Holy Spirit. 
And I've talked about this before, but it's the, the, it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the new covenant is what? We are ministers of the new covenant of the spirit, not of the letter of the law. So the spirit is actually the defining characteristic of the new covenant. So as new covenant believers, we're no longer under the law. So how do we live a righteous life? By the spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what it says in the very next verse, right? Verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, right? So that's the primary imperative as Christians, anointed ones, that we be led by the Spirit, just like Jesus was. And then verse, I wanted to skip to verse 25 for a time. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And that's what Jesus did. That's what he was showing us right away. Holy Spirit tells me to go into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. (laughs) Not something I would sign up for, right? But that's how obedient Jesus was, right? That is amazing. Okay. Jesus, our example. So, right, he was baptized or anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And then he did his ministry by the Spirit. And that's exactly how we're supposed to do it. Okay? So, look at, look at, okay. Notice that Jesus, now this is an important point. Jesus' ministry did not start until after he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And that's what made him the anointed one. We, we already said that, right? Je- there is no record of Jesus doing any miracles before he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, right? It wasn't until after that he began his ministry of healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. This is confirmed in Acts Now, we talked about this verse, but I wanted to show you the verses preceding it. Because this is Peter preaching to Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And he's giving, long story short, he's giving them the gospel. And this is a succinct version of the gospel. So Peter's preaching to these Gentiles who've never heard this before. So this is what Peter says. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, right? We just talked about that. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. We just talked about that. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him, right? So it wasn't until he, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power that he started doing healing the sick and doing good to everybody. That's where his ministry began. So you can see this now in Luke 4. This is right after he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He begins his ministry. This is right after. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the what? Power of the Spirit. There's a reason that this, right, the gospel is telling us this, because that's the key to his ministry. That's what made him the anointed one. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. You recognize this, right? Because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 
Isn't that amazing? So he, he finds that messianic prophecy and he says, look, now that I went to the uh, Jordan, the Holy Spirit's resting upon me, and I'm now here in the power of the Spirit, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. That's what he says there. He sat down. He said, today the scripture's fulfilled and you're hearing. I am the anointed one. I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Now, <laughs> I didn't go on here. Um, but you could imagine how much this offended people. And it did. In fact, they took him out of town to kill him. And it says he went through the crowd and escaped. I'm, by the way, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, wait a minute, you're Joseph's son. We know you. You're not the Messiah. <laughs> right? That really offended them. Now, can you go back one, actually? I, no, this is okay. This, this, this actually just came to my memory, and I'm going to say it. There's a story. How many of you heard of Paul Cain before? Half of us. Now, he's a really uh, well-known, uh, he was really well-known for words of knowledge, the prophetic ministry, you name it, especially in the 80s. The reason I'm telling you this is, okay, I'm going to have to try and make this short, but his mother, who lived to like 100 and something years old, she actually got miraculously healed when she was younger, but the point is, she told Paul Cain, when I die, and this is like 91, 92, or somewhere around there, my death is going to have a prophetic message. So, and it's going to be, she said, the most important message that you're going to receive in your life, or something like this. I heard this a long time ago, so I have to paraphrase. I might be a little off with details. But the point is, so Paul's waiting. Now, he doesn't want her to die, but she's in her hundreds, of course. But he's, oh my goodness, the most like, important prophetic message. And it might have been to him in this generation or something. So she dies on April 18th. At 4.18 in the morning, and I forget, there was another 4.18 there. What's April 18th? 4.18, 4.18 in the morning, and then there was some other 4.18 thing. They didn't realize this till weeks later. Oh, uh, no. There was some other, yeah, it might have been. It's something like that. There was three 4.18s. No idea. And then, I forget how it came about, they, they realized this was the prophetic message for this generation. Luke 4.18. Just as Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit in power to do all this, this generation, this end time generation is going to rise up in the same power and anointing as Jesus. That was the prophetic message. So I just remembered that when I was reading this. But anyway, there you go. So important for us, right? Like, I, like this is the whole point of this message. Jesus is our example. We're called to operate and function in the same power and anointing Holy Spirit as Jesus was, as little anointed ones, Christians. Now, this is, this is from Matthew. This is, again, right after he's baptized. I just want to show you. Now, he began his ministry, right? From Matthew 17, 23, and 24. From then on, after he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and he was tempted by the devil, he began to preach, repent from your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus, verse 23, Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And this goes on to say news about him spread and he healed everyone and cast out all the demons and stuff. Remember, Jesus gave us the same ministry. And in Matthew 9, he says, I give you authority. And he says, go, when he called the 12 of them, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. And then he told us to do the same thing with the Great Commission. So, the key to Jesus' ministry is that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. 
Not only did he delegate authority to us, he also gave us the same power through the promised Holy Spirit so that we could carry on his work until he returns. That's why. I'm going to show you this in a minute. Remember, the, the, what John the Baptist described his ministry, Luke 3.16, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what he's come to do so that we can spread the good news to the whole entire world as with his power and authority that he's given us. So that's the next thing I'm going to talk about. Jesus gives us his ministry, the spirit-empowered life. Okay. Now, we've talked about this in the uh, previous week, so I don't want to uh, go over too much of the same stuff, but I do want to give you a couple of scriptures here. This is, and I had to cut out a lot. I was so tempted. There's so many scriptures on the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, and I was going to go over them. I'm like, I don't have time. But I just wanted to give you a couple of them to show you how this is really critical. This is Jesus. Think about this. This is Jesus' last words on earth, practically. Before he goes to the garden to pray and then the, they seize him, this is him having the last supper with his disciples. How many of you know people's last words are important, aren't they? What's the last thing Jesus Christ talks about in the, in the last conversation with the 12, 11 people who are going to go spread this gospel to the world? And he talks so much about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is so important to our uh, walk in the Lord. So look at this, John 6, now they're sad because he's like, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to be crucified. But look at this, John 16, verse 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Why? Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will come or will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. Isn't that interesting? Most of us would say, we want Je wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus Christ, right, if we were the apostles and we got to hang out with Jesus for three and a half years, him in the flesh. He's saying, it's actually better for you that I go. Why? So that I can send the Holy Spirit, God living in you, and then you can, as spirit people, do carry on the work of the ministry I've been doing. I'll be living in you, Jesus is saying. That's way better than having me here, right? Because Jesus, when he was on earth, he wasn't omnipresent. He can only be at certain places at certain times, right? But the Holy Spirit is everywhere. It says in Psalm 139, everywhere. Where can I go that you aren't, right? David says. Where your spirit, his spirit's everywhere. So, verse 12 I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's why it's so important being led by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who guides us into all truth. Notice he didn't say the Bible will lead you into all truth, even though I'm not knocking the Bible. You know I love the Bible because I use it so much. It's the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. If it's not by, you know what? Jesus says in John 5, you think you have life, eternal life, because you know the scriptures so well, yet when I come here, the very person who the scriptures are prophesying about, you reject me. The spirit kill, or the uh, letter kills, the spirit gives life. If you, if, if you have the word without the spirit, you could get into trouble, and that's what the Pharisees did. Right? You need the Holy Spirit to give you the revelation and to lead you and guide you into all truth. It's so important. We don't want to become a bunch of Pharisees. Now, this is Luke. Now, we talked about the Great Commission the last couple of weeks. This is Luke's version. I haven't talked about this one yet. This is Luke 24, 45 to 49. 
This is Jesus talking. Then he opened up their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. That's how you do it. That's how you become my, my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You wait. You get anointed with the Holy Spirit. Then the power of the Spirit, you function and operate in and carry on the ministry that I've done. So now I'm going to fast forward to Acts 1.8. They're talking about Jesus now. Talking to Jesus. This is his last words before he gets raised to the right hand of God. This is the last, very last after his resurrection. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So important. And then he gets raised up to heaven. So then they go to Jerusalem in the upper room. And we know, probably most of us know the story. The Holy Spirit comes with wind, fire, and wine. And everyone gets, right, drunk in the, well, not everyone, but they get drunk in the spirit. People are like, you're drunk on wine. They're like, no. Then Peter gets up. He's like, this isn't, they're not drunk as you suppose. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel chapter 2, right, where I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You know what's interesting about this? Think about this. When the Holy Spirit came, they were clothed in power to the point where Peter, who denied Jesus Christ three times to a maidservant weeks before, he was, he was such a coward, he wouldn't even tell them he knew Jesus, went in front of a crowd of thousands, the same people who crucified Jesus, and preached to them and said, you're the ones who crucified the Messiah. 3,000 people get saved that day because Peter got clothed with boldness and power in the Holy Spirit, right? Isn't that amazing? That, think about this, that's what birthed the church. That, the day of Pentecost, what birthed the church? The Holy Spirit coming. That's what makes us Christians, I, you know, I want to keep saying this because you don't want to miss the fact that it's all about the Holy Spirit coming, and that's how we that's how we operate in the same power that Jesus had, right? That's why He said you'll be clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, I just love this verse. I had to find a way to fit it in. So you all know they got baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's when they started going out, functioning and operating in all these amazing miracles. I was going to talk about them, but I don't have time. But just read the book of Acts. That's what started it, is the Holy Spirit coming. Look at this verse. I love this. This is from 2 Peter 1, 2-4. This is the same guy who preached that sermon in Acts chapter 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Look at this. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that amazing? His power. That's so... You might be like, oh, I'm not into power. I don't really, right? What's the big deal? I don't care if I do the ministry of healing the sick and stuff. This is why it matters. It's, it's applicable to everybody because not only are we mandated by Jesus to do the same works he did, 
But this is the key to living life and godliness. He gives us everything by his divine power to live life and godliness through our knowledge of him, through knowing him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. The divine power is the key. Also, this is, I love this one because it talks about his precious promises. For the last couple weeks, if you weren't here, I've been giving out scriptures. The first week I gave a whole bunch of scriptures of healing promises, right, from Old and New Testament. Last week I gave a whole bunch of prophetic, uh, or not prophetic, sorry, uh, scriptures on when the enemy attacks, scriptures to attack back with, with the sword of the Spirit, written in first person. Why? Because... Through his promises, he's given them that we can participate in the divine nature. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that no matter how many promises he's made, they're all yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen spoken by us. That means every promise that he's made to us personally and in the scripture, the answer is yes. That's why I love praying scriptures. That's why I've been giving these scriptures to you guys. It's, it's, it's amazing. But I don't want you to miss the the, the divine power by the Holy Spirit is the key. Okay. The full gospel. Getting back to our spirit-empowered roots is is, is such an important thing for these days we're living in. Right? We've, everybody laments. Why isn't there, we're not seeing the same power in the church that they did in the early church? Right? Why is... You know, why aren't we seeing the miracles like they did in the church these days? Part of it is because, like I said last week, we don't know the authority we have. But secondly, it's because we've totally ignored the Holy Spirit who gives us the power and ability to do these things that Jesus did. Right? So, just as the baptism of the Holy Spirit initiated Jesus' ministry on the earth, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the event that marked the birth of the church. I already said that. After this, the disciples continued Jesus' ministry, and God verified the gospel's truthfulness by a display of his power through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus said not only to preach the gospel, he said, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the leper. And if you read the book of Acts, that's what they did. They went about healing the sick, large crowds would come, then they'd preach the gospel, right? And that's how the gospel spread like it did in the early churches. They did the work of the ministry, because that's the full gospel, so the disciples' spirit-empowered word was regularly, just look at the book of Acts, is regularly accompanied by spirit-empowered miracles as well. And I just want to show you this. This is the Apostle Paul. This was the key to his ministry. 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5. He's talking to the Corinthians. He says, I came to you, okay? He's talking about when he first came to them and they got saved. This, I'm just going to, verse 4 and 5. My message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, which is what we bank on in the West, isn't it? Apologetics, just trying to outwit the other guy who's an atheist or whatever and try and convince and persuade people using human tactics. Paul said, I didn't do that, right? He's, what did he do? But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That was the key. Why? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I say this a lot. You cannot argue with an encounter. 
And that's why Paul did this. Because they, he was up against, the, think about it, this is Corinth, right? They, they idolized philosophy in that culture. So Paul goes to this culture that idolizes human wisdom. And he says, look, I didn't, I didn't bother trying to go on your level with that and try and convince you more than these other people. I just, bam, you're healed, right? Argue with that. You can't argue with encounter. Imagine you're healed of like stage four cancer, like that woman at Igniting Ottawa. You can't argue with that. So then the problem is if we rely just on human wisdom, people could argue. If someone's better at arguing than I am, they can argue you out of the faith. That's what he's saying. I don't want your faith to rest on the, my ability to persuade you. So the power of God is so important when we're talking about the gospel. Now this is first Corinthians, this is a couple chapters later, 1 Corinthians 4, 19 and 20. He says, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I'll find out not only what these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Why? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Isn't that amazing? We've made it all about talk. That's the problem, right? We, uh, we need to get back to our roots of a demonstration of God's power because he says the kingdom of God is just, it's not talk, it's power. That's why I'm, I'm, giving, I'm spending a whole sermon on power, right? We need to get back to this, to what Jesus called us to do and to function and operate in the same power he did. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel, look at this, came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Right? Not simply with words. He's just saying the same thing. When I came to you and you guys got saved, it wasn't just words, was it? It was power, the Holy Spirit encounters that you guys, that's how you guys got saved. One of my personal favorites, Romans 15, 17 to 19. Remember, I talked about getting back to the full gospel. Look at what Paul defines the full gospel as. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. I will venture not to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. It's both. By the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Lycrium, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. Why do you think we're having such a hard time in the West? We're preaching a partial message because we're only using words. We're not using the demonstration. That's what the full gospel, he said, so I fully proclaim the gospel. How? Through signs and wonders, the things I did, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Critical if we're going to see the same results the early church did. That's the missing factor. So, Paul's reminding us that the message of the gospel is truth accompanied by the Spirit's power. Now, that's important because words do matter, right? We got it. So that's why Jesus said, okay, this is really simple. This is what you do. Proclaim this message, one sentence. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's it, period. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, right? Freely you've received, freely give. One sentence. <laughs> so they have a grid. Oh my goodness, this is the kingdom of heaven, right? This is, now, so the point is, Jesus did tell us we have to preach the gospel, but he also said these signs will accompany those who preach the gospel. Healing the sick and all that. It's an evidence of heaven coming to earth. This is the evidence that the kingdom of heaven is here. 
So this is the difference between the early church and us. And this is a radical difference. And this explains a lot about our present condition. We need to get back to our mandate to spread the gospel, not simply with words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So I like to end my messages by asking the question, what should we do in light of this? That's a good question. Which, okay, hopefully you're convinced we need to be operating in the Spirit's power. Now what? (laughs) Good question. What's that? Go out and practice. That's right. We talked about that last week. Okay, it's one thing to know you have the authority. You actually have to do something with it, right? You actually have to go and heal the sick. Raise the dead, cast out demons. But look at this. I love this. So this is from Acts chapter 4. Okay, the apostles are going and doing this stuff. Right? You guys might remember we talked about Acts chapter 3 where the beggar who is, who is lame his whole entire life was out the gate, uh, outside the gate beautiful and he's asking for money. And they say, silver and gold have we not, but in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And then he gets raised, right? And he totally healed. And the whole city's just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So then they go to the Sanhedrin. <laughs> Uh-oh. Right? Because they're like, you, <laughs> they didn't know, because the, the guy who was healed right beside them, so they couldn't do anything. They're like, we can't deny the fact this guy who's been outside our gate for 40 years is healed. But they told them, they're like, okay, now quit, quit doing things in the name of Jesus. And they're like, you decide for yourself, Right? whether we should listen to God or to men, okay? So, they th- so then the Sanhedrin threatens them. You better stop doing this in the name of Jesus. And they're like, heck no. Look at what they go and do, okay? <laughs> I love this. They go and pray. Now, this is just the end of the prayer. So they're praying to God, and this is their prayer. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now get this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. (laughs) So they get persecuted for being bold, and then they're asking God to make them more bold. I love that. Stretch out your hand to what? Heal. That's what got them in trouble in the first place, but they're praying for more. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's their prayer. Look, what, look at the fruit of their prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Think about this. These are the same people who were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Why am I making this point? They already got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What this is showing is there's not a one-time event. They got... Filled. These are the same people. Peter and John and the apostles got filled again. Is that not true? They got filled. That's what it says. They got filled and then they spoke the word of God boldly. Why am I saying this? A lot of us get to the point, uh, not a lot of us, but some of us, it's like, oh, been there, done that, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues like 40 years ago and having the, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit's continual. It's continual. You look at Ephesians, I believe it's 5.18, where it says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a continuous verb. Be filled and keep being filled and keep being filled. I, there's a whole bunch of verses like that. Galatians 3.5, where it says, Did you rec- or does God give you his spirit by works of the flesh or believing what you heard? That word give is the same thing. A fresh supply of the spirit, an ongoing 
thing. So relationship with the Holy Spirit isn't static. It's an ongoing thing. And we can be filled and continue being filled and continue being filled. Why am I saying this? Because look at what they did. They prayed to God for the Holy Spirit. They said, stretch out your hand to heal. Perform miracle signs and wonders. If that's what the apostles did, should we not be doing that? Should we not be praying that? Right? Because they did. And they were already operating in amazing signs and wonders. And they're just praying for more. And then they got filled again. Now, last week I talked about the apostolic prayers. And I've been getting uh, feedback, people and appreciating this. So I have another handout for you this week. But this week I have the apostolic prayers. Because now, for those of you who haven't been here, some new people, I love the apostolic prayers. And those of you who come here regularly know this. Thank you. Sure. Um, what the apostolic prayers are, essentially the prayers in the Bible. Throughout Scripture, especially Paul, prays a whole bunch for people. And I love these prayers because they give us a glimpse into how the apostles prayed. But not only that, God loved these prayers so much that he canonized them in Scripture forever. He's, I like that prayer so much, it's going to be in Scripture these are good prayers, right? And it shows us how they prayed. I love it. Now, why am I saying this? I, I have just, this isn't exhaustive. It's just ones, it's, it's a bunch of them that I like. <laughs> there's more, there's different ones, but these are, now I especially love the first three, okay? Notice the first two, almost all of them actually talk about, he talks about praying for power. The Apostle Paul. How many know if the Apostle Paul prayed for power, we should probably be praying for power, right? He pray, In the first three, he prays about them with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. Um, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power, right? Through his Holy Spirit. And then he goes on talking about power and stuff. Um, but anyway, I, I wanted to hand this out. There's more. If, uh, yeah, absolutely. Can I get someone else? Thank you. Would you? Oh, anybody. Hand them out. And if you need an extra one for a friend or whatever, I, I have probably 10 or 15 extra, so go ahead and grab an extra one. But anyway, why am I handing you? The question is, right, what do we do in light of all this? And then I gave you an example. What did the apostles do in light of all this? They prayed <laughs> that God would stretch out his hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. We should be doing that in our own lives, in this church. Why not? God, come, stretch out your hand to heal, perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus, right? Um, fill us with the spirit. That's Ephesians 1.17. Fill us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? The Holy Spirit. Why would Paul pray that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit if it's a one-time thing? Okay, so now I'm giving you a bunch of prayers. Why not pray them for ourselves? Why not pray them for our loved ones? Why not pray them for our church, for our leaders, whatever, right? Why not? Because if Paul prayed them for the certain churches, we should pray them for our church and for us and for others. And that's one of the keys. What's the key to greater power? Praying for it, right? Praying for it like the apostles did. And that says a lot, the fact that the, he prayed for it so much. So with that, I want us to pray for each other. Using these prayers. Now, you don't have to pray all of them. Why don't you pick like one or two and, and maybe find someone. If you're sitting by someone, you can pray for each other. Pick one or two that's relevant. Like, so for instance, Colossians 1, 9 through 14, 
if someone's, I love that one for seeking God's will. People, one of the number one things people pray for, ask for prayer for from me is I want to know God's will. How many of you want to know God's will? Yeah. Look at Colossians 1.9. What's the first thing he prays for? He says, I pray. Um, I just want to make sure because you have it that I say it exactly right. But he, <clears throat> let's see. Verse Oh, yeah, it's verse 9. For this reason, since the day we've heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Look at this. We continually, this is not a one-time prayer. We continually pray, ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So if, if you're like, hey, I want to know God's will. I'm making a major decision or I don't know what to do with a job or whatever, pray that for yourself, right? Or whatever. So... Or now, if, if you want prayer for healing, I gave you guys scriptures uh, last time or two times ago on healing. If you weren't here, feel free. I'd be happy to email the last two weeks scriptures to you guys. Uh, just email at ottawacatchthefire.com. But with that, without further ado, if you guys are willing, now you don't have to do this. If you need to leave, we bless you to go. Um, but if you want to do this, uh, why don't we partner up with people? How many would like to do this? If you have your hand raised, partner up with someone and pray these for each other. And I'm, I'm doing this as an activation to, to hopefully prompt you. Now, you can, like, keep this in your Bible or whatever and just pray these, right?